Chapter 14. Gunner Half-and-Half Bears Responsibility In the last chapter, when Freitas resorted to violence, Shard admitted he was in a muddle, Johnson and Periwinkle called on Freitas for help, Deborah explained her innocence, Shard merged the two saga stories and freeze Deborah, Rita and Shyrock start on a stormy ride. In this chapter, more murderers afoot, blizzard gunfight, Bud Morton and Patsy to the rescue, Deborah talks, Shard listens, the Kaiser decides, and the deputies use Gunner half and half to allocate their costs for the wrecking the police car. Chapter 14. It's a Saturday morning up in the North Country. I can't see a foot ahead, Eddie said. How do these shit kickers live with all this snow? Shut up. We've got to decide what to do with these two, and we only have two choices, which are kill them and dump them in some godforsaken place where they'll never be found, or keep them somewhere until a deal is finalized. And then kill them? Why wait, Eddie asked. You have a point. How about a third choice? Which is, let the luck of the draw kill them. Brilliant, Eighty. And how do you suppose we do that? We tie them to a tree somewhere. If it stays below freezing, and I guarantee it will, then that's proof that Lady Luck wants them dead. Nice, huh? I like that. It's cleaner than shooting them, Reader said. At last I had an idea you liked. Let's face it, Eighty. You've been short of them lately. I like it because it's quick and easy. Pull off on the first side road and we'll march them into the woods and leave them in the ladies' hands. Saturday morning. Sounds. John Skabinski was sound asleep. The orange glow from the stove flickered across his walls, and Patsy curled up against the small of his back, emitting breathly snores. She suddenly pricked up her ears and opened her eyes, as if she were scanning for a signal. She stood up and licked the back of Skabinski's head. Go away, girl. It ain't time to get up. She slathered on. You don't never get up to pee. What's wrong with you? Skabinski threw off his covers and stood in his red long johns. Come on, I'll let you out, he said as he opened the door. He saw the snow was already knee-deep and showed no signs of letting up. You must be nuts, girl, he said, as she bounded into the nearest drift. He put another log in the stove before he reached for the bottle from which he took a deep, satisfying swig. That's worth getting up for, he said to nobody. Patsy barked, and Skipinski opened the door to let her in, but she wasn't there. The old tracker could tell that she was moving away from the house. Must have found something, he said. If it weren't so cold, I'd go out and shoot it for her. When Patsy's bark became more insistent, Skabinski guessed that she was out towards the road. She sounded as if she had something cornered. Maybe she'll bring back some fresh rabbit. No sooner had the words left his mouth than Skabinski heard the distinct retort of a pistol. Patsy abruptly stopped barking. Oh, shit. Somebody shot her. I'll kill a son of a bitch. He yanked on his clothes and peered out the door. He thought he saw a dim light through the heavy snowfall down at the road. He slipped into his coat, laced on his snowshoes, took his battered double-barreled shotgun and a handful of shells, and set off to work his way around to the far side of the light. Saturday morning, Shard thinks. Shard stood in Deborah's driveway with the three deputies, trying to plot his next move. His radio squawked. Hi, hey, Neil, what you got? I called earlier, but you didn't answer. Deputy Rishi called in about 15 minutes ago and said he saw a white SUV headed west of Lansing Street.
Thanks, Neil. Well, guys, how many white SUVs can there be out there in this storm at this time of night? Let's get going. Shard was backing up to turn around when he heard, Lieutenant, I have another white SUV for you. What the hell? The country's lousy with white SUVs tonight? Are they like Arctic hares? Turn white in blizzards? Yeah, Neil, where? Reese saw this one headed north on 28. It had two people. He couldn't tell how many the other one had. It's got those darkened windows. Right, Neil. Thanks. Shard stopped and called another council of war in the snow-filled driveway. Lingerfelt, call Ricci and catch up with the white SUV headed west. We'll take the one on 28. When we make contact, we'll radio each other. And be careful, guys. These folks aren't amateurs. Norseman, I want to drive, Periwinkle said. It's snowing like hell. I'll do it. Is this a guy thing or something? I have the same kind of driver's license as you. This is a hell of a time to argue, Johnson said. Let me drive and let's get going. Shard's already out of sight. No. All right, Periwinkle, you win, but be careful. Saturday morning. Violence. Let's drag these two into the woods and get the hell out of here, Aidy said. I don't like dark and lonely places. I'll bet there isn't a sidewalk or a streetlight within a hundred miles of here. Do you hear a dog? Rita asked. Yeah. Does that mean someone lives out in this godforsaken hole? Unless the dog's wild. Patsy burst out of the nearby spruce trees, yapping and leaping, and worked her way around to the front of the SUV where she planted her feet. Rita opened her window and yelled, Shut up, you fucking cur! Patsy increased the frequency of her yelps. God damn mutt, Rita muttered as she stuck her pistol out the window. Don't, Aidy said just as she fired. Patsy abruptly stopped barking. Where the hell's the hound now, Aidy asked. I don't give a shit as long as he shuts up. I don't want to wake up everybody in the boondocks. Then why the hell'd you shoot? They could hear it in Utica. How the hell else could I shut it up? God, I hate dogs. Let's get the hell out of here. We'll dump these two somewhere else. Somebody owns that mutt, and I can just see some grizzled old bastard step out of the woods with a World War II flamethrower and char us. All right, step on it. Eddie backed down the track about a hundred yards towards the road, but he cut the steering wheel to the left too early, and his rear tire dropped into the ditch. Although he eased the SUV into drive, it didn't move. He tried to rock it out, but the rear wheel only sank deeper in the snow-filled hole. You damned idiot, Rita said. I suppose you haven't noticed that we don't have snow like this in New York City. We're civilized. We have streets and cabs. Don't forget the streetlights. Shut up and get us the hell out of here. And exactly how am I to do that, Adie asked. You're a guy. That's your problem. Adie opened the door and sank into knee-deep snow. Jesus Christ, he said. The wheel is hanging over the edge. It's not even touching the ground. Call a tow truck. Are you nuts? How do we explain those two in the back? And where do we tell the tow truck to come to find us? The woods? You're an idiot, Adie. Figure out how to get us out of here. Don't bother, you son of a bitch, Skabinski growled. You shot my dog. Adie froze. Move a muscle and I'll blow your head off. Saturday morning, driving into trouble. Johnson, can you read me? Shard heard nothing but static on his radio. Johnson, I can't see your lights behind me. Where are you? Talk to me, Norseman. Silence. 
Saturday morning. Disaster. I can't see anything. It's a whiteout, Periwinkle said. I told you to let me drive. Yeah, and what could you see? I don't know how far behind Shard we are, but I can't see his taillight, she said. If we were a foot behind, I don't think we'd see them. Just take your time. We'll catch up with them. He can't see anything either. At 30 miles an hour, it'll take all night. Johnson, can you read me? Shard called on the radio. Periwinkle leaned over to reply and inadvertently pushed the accelerator down hard. The big cruiser's rear end slid off to the left, putting the car into a 180-degree spin. Shit, Johnson yelled. Turn into it. He was a split second too late. The left rear of the car hit the end of the guardrail at the opposite side of the road and rode up over it, flipping the car over and over down into a deep ravine. It settled upside down. Its roof flattened almost level with the top of the seats. Neither Periwinkle nor Johnson moved. Johnson, Shard radioed. I can't see your lights behind me. Where are you? Talk to me, Norseman. Saturday morning at the epicenter. When Skibinski looked in the window... He saw a woman in the front seat staring at him as if he were an apparition and two people trussed up in the back. A geyser of snow that erupted from the front of the car diverted his attention. Letting out a high-pitched yelp, Patsy leapt out of the snow spray at 80. She drove her body weight into his chest and toppled him over backwards. She bounded off him and took a toothy purchase high on his left thigh. "'Get this goddamn mud off me!' down, Patsy, Skabinski said, but she refused to get let go of A.D. Safai. I said, down, he yelled, and this time she unlocked her jaws and sat back on her haunches and snarled at A.D. Get up, you bastard, the mountain man said. A.D. wasn't sure he could. His leg hurt like hell. What's wrong with them, Skabinski asked, pointing his shotgun towards the back seat. Friends, Rita said as she aimed her pistol at the mountain man. Drop the shotgun or I'll kill you. The woodsman quickly slipped a step to his right and put eighty between him and the pistol. "'You shoot, you kill him,' he said calmly. "'Then I kill you.' Rita realized he was right. She swung her pistol around and planted its barrel against Polk's head. "'I've got a cop back here, mister. If you don't drop your gun, I'll blow his head off.' Eighty measured his chances of taking the man down, but he wasn't sure his leg could take his weight." Besides, the snow was too deep for anything fancy, and the guy stayed out of his reach. Lady, you kill a cop, I shoot this guy with one barrel, and you, before you can even shoot at me. Listen to him, Rita. I need a doctor to look at my leg. His damn dog ripped a hunk out of it. Shut up, you're not going to die from a dog bite. Let me think. All eyes riveted on Rita. Nobody moved. Saturday morning, getting closer. Shard couldn't see a thing, but he drove at a steady twenty miles an hour by the feel of the road. When he felt his tires hit the cinders, he steered the other way. I'd pick myself up for a DUI if I saw me driving like this, he thought. Through the solid sheet of snow, he saw a glint of light. He rubbed his eyes and looked again. It was still there, but appeared intermittent. Johnson, he radioed, I see a light up ahead. Unless the road curves, it's on the right side. I'm going to stop. Shard unclipped his shotgun from the dash. Saturday morning, Rita's move. I'll tell you what, Mr. Rita said. We need to get to the nearest hospital. Can you help us get this damn thing out of the ditch? I'm sorry I shot at your dog, but he scared me. It's a she, Skabinski said. Throw your pistol out the window. Rita tossed it out high in the air. There, now let's talk, she said. Untie those people. 
I can't do that, mister. My friend and I work for the Secret Service, and we apprehended these two. They threatened to kill the president, and we have to fly them to Washington. We were going to Utica when we pulled in here. We're lost. The mountain man stared at her. She couldn't decide whether he was stupid, was so impressed that he didn't know how to react. She bet he'd never met anyone this important in his life. Well, will you help us? Skibinski didn't move a facial muscle. You was faced wrong, he said finally. Utica's that way, and he pointed south. Jesus, Rita thought, the bastard has a compass in his head. Where do I find them? You're probably right, mister. We couldn't see in all the snow and turned around several times. We don't know where we are or which way we're headed. North, he said. Oh, okay. If you help us get out of here, we'll head back the right way, okay? Skabinski didn't know what to believe. Anyone who shot dogs had to be bad. But if he got them out of here, maybe they'd just go away. Okay. Okay, what, Reed asked. I'll get my truck. Saturday morning, Shard arrives. Shard could see the headlights more clearly. He stuck his blue bubble light on the dash, turned it on, and stepped out in what he guessed was the what he guessed was the middle of the road. In his flashlight's beam, he saw Skabinski holding a shotgun on Shyrock. Mr. Skabonski, it's Lieutenant Shard. What's going on? It's Skabinski. Sorry, Shard said as he plowed through the waist-deep snow in the ditch. As he approached the unpronounceable woodsman, he saw Rita. Rita and Shylock, fancy meeting you here. Then he spotted Polk lying across the back seat. What the hell? That's my deputy, he said to Skabinski. Cover me while I get him out of there. As Shard rounded the front of the car, Rita reached into the door pocket and brought up a pistol, which she aimed at Shard. Stop her, Patsy, Skabinski shouted, and with one step and what Shard later guessed was a twenty-foot leap, Patsy had Rita's wrist between her teeth. Her gun fell out into the snow. Ah, call your damn dog off. I didn't think you was Secret Service, he said. Your dog, man, he'll kill me. It's a she, lady. I'll get rabies. Shard untaped Polk and the two freed Deborah, who'd been lying under him. I didn't have any room. I was squashed back there, and I'm claustrophobic. Do you know how heavy that guy is, she asked. I thought he would suffocate me. But I kept you warm, ma'am. Skibinski called Patsy off an instant before they heard the plow roaring and bucking up the highway towards them. Oh, shit, Shard said. He'll have his wing out and smash into my car. Bluter will kill me. Nobody except Shard seemed to care much. The huge diesel plow stopped in front of Shard's blinking blue light. The driver yelled down to see if anyone needed his help. Yeah, get me out of this ditch, will you, Eddie yelled. Don't, Shard said. Leave him right here. My partners are behind me. Tell them we're at Skabinski's, and I need their help. The plowman pulled around Shard's car and disappeared in the veil of snow. Pick up her guns, Polk, and keep them on her. I'll call for help, Shard said. Neil, Lieutenant Shard, where are Johnson and Periwinkle? I need them. They don't answer, Lieutenant. How about Lingerfelt and Ricci? They called in ten minutes ago, sir. Their SUV had a family with two small kids. Don't you wonder why anyone is out with little kids in this weather? I wouldn't take mine out. Shard wondered why anyone was out, period. They were supposed to call me after they caught up with their SUV. They did, sir. You didn't answer. 
Get them out on 28 now, north of Foster's Place. Yes, sir. Saturday morning, the plowman. It's nice to see people, Bud Morton said aloud as he watched the snow fan ten feet in the air off the ends of his plows. What was that ad years ago that claimed the loneliest guy in town was the Sears repairman? Or was it Westinghouse? I've got them both beat. He poured another cup of coffee from his thermos. Coffee tastes better in a plow than anywhere else, he said, and took a big swallow of the piping hot liquid. The upraised cup partially blocked his view, but he glimpsed the shadows of two tire tracks that swung around in front of his plows and off the edge of the road. He plowed both tracks into a ravine before he could stop. What the hell? He lifted his plow. He turned up his ditch lights and backed up to where he thought he'd seen them. Maybe I need more coffee. I'm seeing things this morning, he said, as he started forward slowly. At the end of the guardrail, his ditch lights outlined a hump of disturbed snow all the way down into the gully. He walked to the edge of the road from where he could see a portion of a tire sticking out of the snow. Damn, he exclaimed as he slid on his rear end down the ravine. He brushed the snow away from the car and uncovered the sheriff's department seal on the door. He lay down on his belly, peered in, and saw two bodies jumbled together. Oh, shit. Are you guys alive? They didn't move. Come on, you guys, talk to me. You gotta get out of there. You'll freeze to death. Say something, damn it. Nothing. Oh, shit, he said again, as he scrambled on his hands and knees up to the road. He called his dispatcher and reported two dead cops in a ditch. I'll send an ambulance and tow truck and call the sheriff's department, the dispatcher replied. Stay there. Keep your lights on so they can find you. Saturday morning. Death. Lieutenant Shard, you gotta answer me. It's Neil. Answer me, damn it. Shard spun around. I've never heard Neil swear, he said. Yeah, Neil. The highway department called. The plowman, their plowman found a cruiser upside down in 28 just south of you. He said there are two dead deputies in it. They have to be Periwinkle and Johnson, because I just talked to Ritchie and Lingerfeld. The dispatcher has ordered an ambulance and a tow truck out. What do you want me to do, sir? They're dead? They can't be, Neil. They can't be. Was the driver sure? I don't know, sir, but the dispatcher told me the driver said they were dead. No, no, no. He must be wrong, Neil. Patch me through to the snowplow man, will you? Don't take your eyes off these three, Shard said to the mountain man and Polk. If they try anything, anything, shoot them. I mean it. I'm freezing, Deborah whined. Tough, Skabinski said. You heard the man. You move. I shoot. Bud Morton here, came over Shard's radio. Are they really dead? The car's upside down, and I crawled up to its window and yelled in. I didn't get no response, and they didn't move. They sure look dead to me. It'll take time for the ambulance and tow truck to get here, because I haven't plowed down that way yet, and the snow's pretty deep. I have two deputies coming north towards you, Bud. When you see them, have them radio me. Okay. Shard stared into the curtain of snow. The hole in his chest felt like the Civil War cannon in Leiden's Park had fired a ball straight through him. He was close to tears. They can't be dead. They can't be. God, I'm not finished with them yet. He yelled into a sheet of snow. He turned back to his car. Bud, do you have a winch? Sure. Is your cable long enough to reach the car? Yeah. When Ricci and Lingerfeld get there, have them attach the hook to the far side of the car so you can flip it up over on its wheels and drag it up to the road. Can you do that? Hell, I can drag Leiden with this thing. It's made to get this truck out of ditches. And I still got a half a load of salt and cinders on the back. Good. 
You're not going to die, bud. I guarantee it. If you say so, I do. And I'll be there as soon as I can. Shard rummaged in his trunk and found four pairs of handcuffs. While a mountain man in Polk stood guard, he cuffed Shyrock, Rita, and Deborah. You can't do this to me, Deborah said. I'll call my lawyer. I'll sue you. Go ahead. I don't give a damn. You three get into the SUV. Polk, start the car in the heater. Stand there and guard them. If they try to run, shoot them. Dead. That's an order. Use this. Shard handed him his shotgun. In the car's lights, he noticed Polk's face was cut and swollen. You okay? Yeah. Come on, Skabinski, bring your dog and let's go. Where? To save two lives. Saturday, near dawn, the plowman. Cop must think I can turn this thing on a dime, Morton said as he wrestled the big truck back and forth to line it up perpendicular to the car. As he unwound the steel cable, he spotted the deputy's headlights. The two got out of their car. Morton gave them Shard's orders and handed Lingerfelt a shovel. This is a coal shovel. Haven't seen one in years, he said. Best for snow. Crawled on there and shoveled out the other side of the car. Hooked the cable around the middle doorpost. Yell up when you're finished and get the hell out of there in case the cable snaps. It'll take your heads off. The two slid down the steep grade and worked their way around the front of the car. The snow was deeper on the far side because the cruiser had pushed it down in the gully. We're ready, Lingerfelt yelled. Morton slowly took up the cable's slack. The two deputies lay on their stomachs about fifty feet away. When the line popped out of the snow, Morton turned up the winch, and the far side of the cruiser slowly lifted. When the car was almost perpendicular, Morton increased the winch's speed to take up the slack to let the car down slowly. It still hit with such force that it bounced twice before it came to a rest. Morton exhaled, took another swig of coffee, and began to drag the car sideways up the incline. In a couple of minutes, he had it on the side of the road. Lingerfelt and Rishi crawled up the ravine and joined Morton, who shone his flashlight around the inside of the car. This is a girl, Morton said, the one on this side. Yeah, Sergeant Periwinkle, Lingerfelt said. That's Sergeant Johnson under her. They ain't moving, Morton said. Lingerfelt took off his glove and ran around to the other side and stuck his hand in front of Johnson's face. I think he's breathing, but not much. There's a hell of a lot of blood in there, Morton said. Look at the dashboard. Yeah, Lingerfeld replied. Sunday near dawn. Shard. I probably made the wrong decision, Shard said, jerking them around my kill if they're not already dead. You didn't, Skabinski said. Somehow he made Shard feel better. Saturday near dawn. They're going to have to saw them out of there, the plowman said, and we need to get some heat in there or they're going to freeze if they're not dead already. They heard Shard's siren approaching. Are they alive, he asked as he opened his car door. I think Sergeant Johnson is just barely. We can't tell about Sergeant Periwinkle, Lingerfeld said. We need to warm them up, otherwise they're goners for sure, Morton said. Got any blankets, Shard asked. He took everyone's silence as a negative. Skimitsky looked in the flattened driver's side of the window. Patsy, he called, and pointed at the window. She jumped up and slithered through the narrow aperture. Skibinski shoved her rump to the middle of the car and ordered her to lie down. She sprawled across Johnson's head in the left side of Periwinkle's face. Skibinski reached in and rearranged her to make sure she didn't cover their noses. Stay, he ordered. She'll keep them warm, he said. 
Shard ordered Lingerfelt and Rishi to pick up Polk and his prisoners and take them to headquarters. He borrowed Lingerfelt's cell phone. Doc, it's Shard. Oh, no. Tell me this is a dream. It's snowing like Mrs. O'Flaherty's sheets. You can't have a corpse. You couldn't find one tonight. I might have two, Doc. Johnson and Periwinkle. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, where the hell are they? Shard told them. I'll be there as soon as I can get my truck started. Keep them warm. The dog's handling that. Bring your bag, Doc. I've got a deputy all banged up. He needs your help, too. Saturday, dawn. Help arrives. It seemed to Shard that it was hours before the ambulance and tow truck arrived. When they did, the med techs quickly confirmed that Johnson was breathing, but it took them longer to check Periwinkle. They maneuvered a mirror on a long rod beneath her nose. The faint fog pattern indicated that she, too, was still alive. It could be the dog's breath, one of them said. Don't be a pessimist, it's the girl. But they're both breathing very slow. I'd guess hypothermia, shock, or maybe lunger heart damage. We won't know for sure till we get them out. Patsy watched and listened, but didn't move a muscle. The tow truck driver used his jaws of life to wrench the driver's door off, and they carefully lifted them out. Periwinkle's face and hair were covered with blood. Shard thought she looked rather paler than most corpses he'd seen. It took all five of them to maneuver Johnson's dead weight out, but he looked better and had more color in his face. Both were unconscious. Maybe she kept kept him warm and that's why he's so ruddy, one of the ambulance attendants said. I hope so, Shard answered. You taking them to Leiden? Be there as fast as Bud can plow. We're right behind him, Lieutenant. Turn Doc around when you see him and drive carefully. They're not going to die. Not tonight, anyway. I guarantee it, Shard said. Saturday, first light. The dawning. On their way back to Skabinski's cabin, Shard said, You and Patsy saved lives tonight. I owe you. No, you don't. That woman tied up in the back of the car killed the man you found in Foster's garage. The other two are in some kind of scam with her. Skabinski stared into the snow and petted Patsy who lay across his lap. Shard pulled in behind the oddly angled SUV. Thanks again, Skabinski. Wait here, he said, and he strapped on his snowshoes and disappeared into the snowfall. Shard suddenly felt exhausted and chilled to his very bones, but at least Periwinkle and Johnson were alive. They'll make it, he said to the snow. They're young and healthy and I need them. Probably more than they need me. God, I'm becoming a maudlin old goat. Skabinski and Patsy stepped out of the snow and ended Shard's soliloquy. The woodsman's handled Shard a bottle of brownish liquid. Thanks, Shard said, and laid it on the seat next to him. Drink it now. You're cold. He's right, Shard thought. He took a goodly gulp and immediately fought down an unholy urge to cough it up. Within seconds, however, it spread warmth throughout his body. This is fine stuff, he said, and took another swig. The mountain man nodded. Saturday morning at the hospital. The snow was still falling heavily, but the road was plowed back to Leiden. Because the hospital hadn't plowed its parking lot, Shard could identify cars only by the snow mounds lined up like New Orleans tombs. He left his car on the side of the road and waded through almost four feet of snow. He met Doc in the emergency room. Alicia found me some live ones tonight, Lieutenant. You're getting better at your job. How are they? Still unconscious. I think they have severe concussions, probably from the car's roof when they rolled over. Are they in danger? I don't think so, unless they suffered brain damage, and I won't know that till they come around. 
I have them in IVs to hydrate them and electric blankets to raise their body temperatures. What about all the blood? They have small cuts on their heads, but none look serious. You know how heavily those scalp cuts bleed. How long do you think they'll be unconscious? Do I look like God? Shard had to admit that if God looked like Doc, dressed in an ancient pair of shapeless, out-at-the-knees corduroy pants and a faded, unironed flannel shirt, his hair jutting out at all odd angles, and with a ubiquitous cigar butt clenched in his teeth, everybody would be a confirmed atheist. How about a guess, then? If we're lucky, son, they might come around in a few hours, when they're hydrated and warmer. Say around late breakfast or early lunch, you're going to buy me. You owe me. Took me a half an hour to dig my truck out, longer than it took to start it. Any other time, Shard would have laughed, but he was too cold, tired, and worried. I'll be back, Doc. Take care of them, will you? They can't die. I won't allow it. By the way, did you look at Polk? Yes, yeah, someone beat the hell out of him. Looked like he hit him with something big and sharp. Yeah, a coffee table, Shard said. Oh, Shard went back to his car, where he quaffed a couple more huge swigs from the mountain man's bottle. Saturday morning, headquarters. Deborah sat in the interrogation room talking to Hetzler when Shard walked in. She looked as bad as Doc, he thought. He bet Harkness never saw her this way. I'd like to speak to you alone, Lieutenant, Hetzler said. Is that okay with your client? Deborah gave the slightest nod. Fine, come up to my office. Shard sat down behind his desk and fumbled with his pencil mug until he found a misshapen camel. I hope you don't mind, Counselor, but I really need this. Hetzler waved any objection away. Deborah's authorized me to ask you for immunity in return for her testimony about those other two you have downstairs. Shard narrowed his eyes and squinted at the lawyer. Under almost any other circumstances, I'd talk to the sheriff and D.A. Fenwick about immunity but she killed the most important employer in town after he told her he was going to dump her. Stutzenberger and Fenwick would laugh me out of their offices if I asked for immunity. They're under intense pressure to bring somebody to justice. I was afraid you'd say that, but I don't believe that you can prove that she did it. And I think you know it. All you have is circumstantial evidence, most of which is pretty thin. You don't even know when he died. True, but I have three people in custody who know who did it, and probably when and why. One of them, my friend, will break to save his or her skin, and I'll have all the time in the world to invite them to do it. Your client is at considerable risk. I wouldn't want my life to hang on their willingness to keep quiet, would you? Hetzler's probing eyes told Shard he was thinking compromise. You're saying Hetzler said that under no circumstances will you support full immunity for my client. I can't. Saturday morning. This makes no sense, Deborah said. They broke into my house and kidnapped me, and you put me in jail. I'm the victim, Lieutenant. They almost killed me, and probably would have if that old man and you hadn't shown up. Didn't Mr. Hetzler tell you that? No. He wanted to talk about granting you immunity in return for your testimony against the others. And? I said no. Why not? I'll tell you everything I know, and I know a lot. You probably do. You have information I'd like to have. But would you tell me why and how you killed Mr. Harkness? I bet not. I've told you already I didn't kill him and don't know who did. Probably one of them. I think not. You stabbed him after he told you the affair was over. Somehow they found out and blackmailed you to 
help them in their scheme to persuade Gloria and Collins to sell the mill. I suspect they promised to cut you in on their take if they were successful. Am I close? That's okay. Don't tell me. I'm sure your friends Rita and Shy Shock will be happy to explain it all. She stared at Shard and said nothing. Hetzler didn't see any reason to break her train of thought either. Well, Shard asked. Oh, God, what a mess. I never thought it would end like this. We had such a lovely arrangement for three years. It's all Gloria's fault. She never loved Steve. All she wanted was what she could get out of him. She knew about us from the start, and it was okay with her because she got what she wanted. Only after Steve ran out of money did she demand he'd dump me. I think you ought to stop before you incriminate yourself, Hetzler interrupted. He can use anything you say here against you. What difference does it make now? I've lost everything. It could mean spending the rest of your life in prison. Tears flowed down her cheeks. Shard pushed the roll of toilet paper closer, but she ignored it. You wish Periwinkle were here to handle this. Suddenly she jerked upright and said, I'd like to talk to Father Hines before I say anything else. They say confession is good, good for the soul. Fine, Shard said. I'll call him. Hetzler looked relieved. Saturday afternoon back at the hospital. When the storm had blown out, Leiden laid smothered under several feet of snow in a perfectly blue sunny sky. At any other time, Shard would have paused to admire the beauty of the sparkling, untouched cover. It looked like God had scrubbed his world clean and left the suds. He found Doc asleep in an unoccupied hospital room. Shard noticed that at least he didn't sleep with a cigar in his mouth. It balanced precariously on the edge of the bedside table. Doc! Go away! Can't you see I'm getting my beauty rest? If you slept a million years... And Shard stopped, thinking this might not be the time. Sorry to wake you, Doc, but I wanted to find out how Johnson and Periwinkle are. Well, as of exactly 14 minutes ago, when I laid my battered body down here for a much-needed rest, they were better. Johnson has regained full consciousness, but has a brutal headache, so I'm keeping him heavily sedated. Periwinkle's not as clear-headed as Johnson, but give her a few more hours of sleep and she'll be okay. I think they're out of the woods. Why didn't you call me when the Norseman came, too? He didn't make much sense and didn't recite a single saga about medieval car wrecks. I thought it was more important to keep him calm. You'd only bother him with questions, and I don't want him to think, not that he does that very often anyway. You can take a peek into the rooms, but don't wake them, like you did me. They need their sleep, too. Sunday morning, cleaning up the loose ends. Shard had been asleep ten hours when his phone jarred him back to consciousness. Lieutenant Shard? Steve Hetzler here, Lieutenant. I talked to my client after her meeting with Father Hines, and she wants me to see if you'd be amenable to a partial immunity, something along the lines of a recommended sentence of, say, ten years or so. So she's admitted that she killed Harkness. You know I can't answer that, Lieutenant, but I can tell you she'll clear up that crime, too. Okay, Steve, I'll check with the sheriff and DA tomorrow and get back to you. Shard rolled over and slept until mid-afternoon when his phone rang again. Lieutenant Shard. It's certainly refreshing to find that our constables are awake on Sunday afternoons, Doc said. I hope we have some good news so I can go back to the wonderful dream you interrupted. I'll make you a deal, Lieutenant. I'll give you good news if you'll promise me no more bodies, concussed cops, and disfigured faces for at least a week, so I can catch up on all my missed checkers matches. 
Okay, okay, I promise. What's the good news? First of all, Johnson came around nicely and ought to be setting elves and norms loose everywhere by tomorrow morning. Let him be tonight. He told me that he can't remember a thing after Periwinkle, who was behind the wheel, told him she couldn't see anything through the snow. And Periwinkle? She's catching up with Johnson pretty clear now, but let her be too. I'll cut back on their pain meds, and they ought to sleep another 24 hours. And for good measure, I repaired Deputy Polk's face. He'll look as good as new after the purple and green spotches disappear. I can't promise he'll be any more intelligent, but do remind him not to let anybody slam furniture into his head. He told me the guy hit him with a coffee table. Didn't you explain to your deputies that the first law of survival is not to let anybody swing a table at you? You're in rare form, Doc. Always. Now, can I go home? I haven't read yesterday's paper or done the crossword. I'm behind in my hectic life. Be my guest, Doc, and many thanks. Bosh! Monday morning, the Kaiser's office. The second-floor nurse informed Shard that Johnson and Periwinkle were still sound asleep. Shard wondered how anybody slept in a hospital after 5.30 a.m. when the day shift arrived wearing cement boots, pushing square-wheeled carts, and barging into patients' room exuding overbearing cheerfulness. Back at headquarters, Shard hadn't knocked the snow off his boots before Neil found him. "'Good morning, Lieutenant. The Sheriff wants to see you.' "'Gotcha, and thanks for your help Friday night. You may have saved Johnson and Periwinkle's lives.' Shard guessed that Neil puffed up at least two sizes. Maybe I ought to compliment him more often, Shard thought. Bluter met Shard at the sheriff's door and didn't even mention the cruiser in the ravine. Shard considered hitting her up for another office chair while she was in such a good mood, but thought better of it. Sheriff in? Been waiting for you all morning, Lieutenant. Shard glanced up at the clock. It showed 7.48 a.m. He knew the Kaiser wouldn't be interested in the weather. He thought a day that boasted a perfectly cloudless sky was one without weather. Shard gave him a summary of his activities Saturday morning and an update of jo on Johnson and Periwinkle and a synopsis of Hetzler's request for partial immunity. Christ, Lieutenant, this is an election year. Harkness was the biggest man in town. The voters will have my scalp if I allow that woman to go free. All true, sir, but there are extenuating circumstances. Enlighten me, son. It was a crime of passion. Any decent defense attorney will convince the jury of that. Dressed in modest and expensive clothes, Miss Newble will tear the jurors' hearts out. The wrong woman and all that. What do you mean the wrong woman? Gloria was wrong, not her. Yeah, but Deborah is like more likable. All those who don't like Gloria won't blame Harkness for taking a mistress. They would, too, if they were married to her. They would troop to the polls to vote for you, sir, because you supported the wronged other woman. Who just happened to commit murder? Maybe, because Gloria prodded her to do it. Garbage. She didn't have to kill Harkness. True. But Gloria pushed her to the point where she was certain that her life was on the verge of destruction. She lashed out. Yeah, with an ice pick. A more practical aspect is that if Deborah talks, we'll clear up the murder, the house shootings, the car shootings, and the conspiracy to scare Collins and Gloria into selling out, which will save the mill jobs. Remember, they're all voters, sir. The Kaiser slid his hand down below the desk to give his belly an upward push, a clear sign that Shard had his full attention. How much immunity? Steve Hetzler suggested ten or so. With no chance of parole? We didn't get that far, sir. I'll talk to Fenwick, but remember he's up for re-election, too. 
The pressure's on both of us. I understand, sir, but some degree of immunity will clean up all these cases and show what a stickler you are for running a tight, clean town. Stutzenberger liked that. Tight and clean, just what he wanted. I'll get back to you in a few minutes. Shard walked across the street and dug through the pile of snow to uncover the base of his favorite lamp. He took a camel over to the post office and sat down on the floor next to Luke and Dizzy. What's new, guys? Dizzy and me made snow angels all night on Tilden. What? I told you not to make snow angels in the street, ever. You'll get run over, Luke. Weren't no cars out, just me and Dizzy. I was out, Shard said. Monday afternoon late. Reunion. At the hospital, Shard hurried up the stairs to the second floor, carrying what Lizzie Snowden at the flower shop promised was a spring bouquet, and found Johnson and Periwinkle in their bathrobes, sitting in wheelchairs in the small sunroom. Shard thought they looked pretty ragged. Periwinkle had a large, purplish bruise over her right eye and numerous cuts along her hairline and down her right cheek. Johnson had a huge knot on his chin, and both had spikes of hair standing straight up. Like your hairdo, Shard said. Thought you would, Johnson said. Doc's work. I expected to find shaved patches all over your scalps, judging from the amount of blood splattered all over your car. Nope, Periwinkle said. Doc told us he saved our hair with an old trick he learned in his vet practice. He rubbed our cuts with cigar spittle, and that glued them back together. Said the spittle would fall off as they healed. You're kidding, right? Shard asked. That's what he said, boss. He said he'd rather have used camel dung, but hadn't been down in the Utica Zoo lately. And we still have her hair. I think I have more spikes than she does, though, Johnson said. I expect that you want to know what happened after you left the straight and narrow Saturday morning, Shard said. He laid out the sequence of events through the promised partial immunity and Deborah's three-hour discourse on how she killed Harkness, and Rita found out and used her to pressure Gloria and Junior to sell her shares if they inherited she blamed Gloria for what Harkness did to her and admitted she sought revenge. It's pretty much as you figured, boss, Periwinkle said. I'm always close, Shard said, and she cleared up one other detail that had bothered us. Remember the ice pick? Well, I was right as usual. It is a woman's weapon, because that's what she told me she used. Your logic, boss, leaves us little to be desired, Periwinkle said. Never. She said that she fixed Harkness a drink the night he informed her that the affair was over. She used the ice pick to chip the ice for his drink and got the idea to use it to get revenge on him. Somewhere away from her house. So she proposed the nighttime skiing exercise, put the ice pick under her parka, and took it with her to kill him. But she won't testify in court unless we grant her some immunity, Shard continued. The Kaiser agreed to the deal and will take the political heat for being lenient. I'm just glad I didn't mention my suspicions about Sherry and Don to him, Periwinkle. We were right. They weren't involved. Shard opened his eyes wide. What are you talking about? Periwinkle related the gist of Johnson's idea linking the two of them to the merger problems at the mill. And you didn't tell me, Shard asked? That's tantamount to withholding vital evidence. Nah, boss. It would have only given you one more woman to try to pair up with Frida's and the strain would have probably blown your brain circuits, Johnson said. Shard glared at him. Okay, look, he said, I'll ignore that. The reason I came up here with these stunning flowers is to tell you that Bluter sends her best and says to remind you to fill out separate expense forms for each medical procedure you had, and that includes the spittle, I guess. 
She also said that the car you guys wrecked cost the department $26,844.32. She promised to be as lenient with you as possible, though. She'll deduct the depreciation and take the rest of the cruiser's value out of your wages over the next year. It's an election year, she pointed out, and she needs clean books. Oh yeah, she also wants to know who is driving because she, she takes 10% more from that paycheck. I was, Johnson said. No, he wasn't, boss. I was. All right, all right. I'll just tell her that it was Gunner half and half. And let her figure it out, Shard said. The end. Sadly.